Hello and welcome in once again to the QB11 show. I am Doug Scott, joined, of course, by QB11. How are you? I'm doing well. You have a good day? I did. Yeah, it was a good day. Wednesday, uh, hump day. So coming down the stretch of the week and then we got all the conference championship games this weekend. The Pac-12 championship game will be Friday night and then I think all the other Power 5 ones will will kind of run the day on Saturday. So for college football fans, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of football to watch this weekend uh, before we kind of hit a dry spell in bowl season. Yeah, it's interesting because like as the season winds down here, there's just less ball every week. Like there's only the six games this weekend, um, and then however the the bowls get distributed over the course of the holiday season, um, it's kind of sad that we're we're winding down here towards another long off season. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, college football is the best sport in the world, but it, it has just a way too short season. You know, it, we wait all year for it, and then it just whisks, you know, whisks by so quickly, and then we're like, oh, it's over. Now we got to wait another nine months. Yeah, it's crazy, too, because the second now with the way that things are structured, the second the, like, regular season ends, it's just chaos breaks out. Like, coaches are moving all over the place. Players are moving all over the place, and it's, like, really – like these these bowls mean less than they've ever meant before, unless you're in like a New Year's Six or a playoff bowl. Yeah, I mean, even some of the New Year's Six bowls are starting to lose their luster. We had a lot of opt outs. Rose <laughs> Ohio bowl State year. opting out of the Rose Bowl. <laughs> yeah, opting out. They a lot of their players opted out of the Rose Bowl last season, and and their whole program opted apparently opted out of the Rose Bowl this season, saying, uh, "Yeah, no thanks. We'll, we'd rather go to the Orange Bowl." So. Um, it's unfortunate, you know, but like you said, you got the coaching carousel, you got transfer portal, you got recruiting early signing day coming up. So obviously we're going to be here to cover it all, but you know, you move on from games and back into like off season mode, which is a different kind of chaos. And, and, uh, we'll be covering it. Of course, on that note, I, I think the first item up today, breaking news today is the Rose bowl signed off finally uh they were kind of the last major hurdle to early playoff expansion so as as our listeners all should know by now uh you know the the uh, college football board of directors uh, agreed several months back to the 12 team playoff expansion model and that will that has always been slated to definitively start at no later than 2026 season um, when the current tv contracts are up and everything goes out for bid, but they had also pushed to try to expand it as early as 2024. So two seasons from, from the one that's wrapping up now. And there was a lot of hurdles. There were some scheduling things that had to be overcome. There was financial revenue sharing that had to be sorted out. Everyone has to agree, which means all the partner bowls that have contracts, ESPN, everybody has to agree. Everyone had agreed um, except for the Rose Bowl who was holding out for some for some guarantees and down the road in the future. And, and I think they, they finally came to a, things finally came to a head this week. I think they had an, a basically an end of November deadline to, to either, you know, to either get on board or, or who knows what, but the Rose Bowl could have held up everything and prevented expansion until 2026, but they have apparently signed off on the deal. So college football playoff expansion, 12 team playoffs will be here almost certainly with the start of the 2024 season. So we'll have this year's 14 playoff, one more 14 playoff next year, and then we'll be to the 12 team playoff the year after. Yeah. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I'm interested to see what the format is. I'm, I'm really hoping that at least the first round is on campuses. 
It is. Um, it, it is for yeah, sure. The, the the first round, the five, so the the twelve versus five, eleven versus six, etc. That round is definitely on campus. The second round, the quarterfinal rounds, will be New Year's Six Bowls, um, and then the semifinals will be the other two New Year's. Year. So, so the six New Year's Six Bowls will host the the four quarterfinals and the two semifinals for the first two seasons. Nothing is set for 2026 and beyond. This is the format for yeah. for the first two seasons. So I, I'm still hopeful that when they revisit the next contract, they move that second round onto campus as well. I think those top four seeds that earn the buy should get a home game. I agree. And I also think that to expect fans to travel to, in, in a lot of cases, if you're – if not everyone's going to make a conference championship game in this, but to travel to a neutral site conference title game and then three rounds, if you were to make it all the way, three rounds of neutral site um, playoff games all around the country, that, that just seems like a real big cost burden for fans. Um, it would make a lot more sense. and I think it would reward your regular season to make the, the regular season more meaningful if you are hosting um, playoff games a little bit deeper into the bracket. Yeah, totally agree. It was not possible with early expansion, given the bowl contracts. The Bulls never would have signed off on losing their their status, but it is something that could could happen in twenty twenty six or beyond because that will be a whole new contract with all new negotiations happening. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, the other thing that could happen, I think, there's a lot of interest in, is moving the entire season up a week. So that's been heavy. And again, this won't happen in 24, 25, but in 26 and beyond, there's a lot of talk about starting the season a week earlier. So instead of Labor Day weekend, it would start what is currently week zero. Everybody would play week zero. Your conference title games would now be on what is currently rivalry weekend, where those conference title games will be played. Um, on that Thanksgiving weekend. And then you'd have kind of your, your first round and your quarterfinals both in December and then the semifinals back on new year's day. They really want the semifinals on new year's day, but for the first two years in 24 and 25, the quarterfinals will be on new year's day. The semifinals will be a week or so later. And then the, the championship game will be in mid January. And I think the first round is slated to be the third weekend in December. So if you're playing in your conference title game, the first round of the playoffs will be two weeks later. Yeah, I like that. Um, I like I like the format of moving everything up a week. It makes sense. Also, it gives you better weather generally nationally um, for your home conference games. So, never never a bad thing to move those up. Yeah, so that's uh, that's the big news today. Obviously, we'll look forward to that. There'll be one more year next year of the four team playoff, and obviously this year uh, with these conference title games coming up this weekend. Um, I think it, there's, it's kind of it's an interesting year. It would have been a great year for the the four team playoff to have started, honestly, given um, to me how wide open the field is this year compared to most. Like I look at, you know, maybe you go past Georgia and Michigan, and you look at the rest of the teams, and you're like, well, anybody three through twelve could probably beat anyone else three through twelve. It'd be a great year for a twelve team playoff, but um, unfortunately, not to be. Yeah, I I don't know. I I think. I agree and I disagree. I think that there's probably a solid eight teams that are that are probably closer together, but I think there's a pretty big drop off from there down. But um, I, I digress. So yeah. with the coaching change with Kenny Dillingham moving on to Arizona State, there is now an offensive coordinator search, which has been formally launched on the uh, University of Oregon website. So uh, anybody who's qualified and would like to apply, feel free to drop your applications in there. Um, 
You've got yours in, right? Yeah. Uh, I figured we could do it by committee. Um, you, you and I, uh, they get a very large discount for our services, I think, relative to what they're expecting to pay. So um, maybe it works out for everybody involved. Probably not. Yeah, I'm in. We can set up like a like an online, like a live online voting system, like runner pass or something, you know, where the fans can all can all choose. We you can you can buy and then it'll go to NIL. <laughs> there you go. That's even better. Smart. Yeah, we'll auction off each play. Yeah. You gotta uh, call one one series. How much are you willing to pay for that? Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, uh all, all jokes aside, not a ton of news on the search yet um, in terms of like re- reputable people reporting on it. Uh, Justin Hopkins over at Scoop Duck has done a good job kind of keep putting out a hot board. But um, it's always important to keep in mind that with these types of searches, especially with the newer coaching staff, um, it seems that the circle is tighter and there's less leaks than there's maybe ever been on, on these coaching searches and, and, and coaching changes. Uh, so I would just remain patient. Um trust that they've got a good system in place for, for interviewing and hiring a qualified candidate. I think that there's a lot of really good names out there um, in terms of like times to be hiring an offensive coordinator. I don't know if there's ever been a better time. Like there's just so many talented play callers out there with really innovative minds. And so uh, just, I'm, I'm personally just looking forward to seeing kind of who they land on and um, how it all, how it all fits. And uh, I think that the the major priority here needs to be, really a quarterback friendly offense because um, really you're selling the future. The future of the program is dependent on uh, obviously Dante Moore, who's committed and, and Bo Nix potentially coming back. And so um, really as much as you're making this decision for the long term of the program, you're also making it in the short term of like what fits those players' skill sets best. Um, and I think that all the names that I've seen seem to qualify uh, to fit, to fit that necessity. Yeah, and you'd have to think this is a pretty attractive job for a lot of a lot of play callers out there. I mean, you know, it's a there's a lot of talent on the roster. There's a lot of talent committed. There's a lot of you know all the other advantages that we know Oregon has. I'm not saying it's the best job in the in the entire country. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go that far, but I mean, it, it's certainly got to be you know from an offensive coordinator perspective, it's got to be in that top ten range for sure. Well, especially because you're walking in um, into a situation where everything is set up for both the present and the future. I mean, you have a, you have a top six offense in 2020, uh, 2022 in, in F plus, and really you return every skill player um, potentially. I mean, we're still waiting on decision from Nick's, but it, it seems to me that the logical thing would be for him to return. Um, we'll find out if that ends up being the case here in the near future. I think that he's probably sitting tight, waiting to find out who the coordinator hires as well. But if Nix is to return, yeah, you have to make some make some adjustments on the offensive line. And we saw some transfer offers go out today, one of which was to a, a, an offensive lineman from Rhode Island. Um, there, you're set up for success immediately. There's not like a tune-up period. Like you're walking in with a true number one receiver in Troy Franklin, a super deep backfield, potentially a quarterback, um, and a few returners on the offensive line. So it should be should be an easy turnaround or or a easy install for whoever the new offensive coordinator is uh, once we get into spring. Yeah. You mentioned the transfer portal, the offers going out, you know, this today and the last couple of days have been mostly to lower division FCS kind of players. Cause they're in the portal already, you know, just a reminder, the, the portal for the FBS, you know, hasn't really officially opened yet. You see a lot of people, you know, tweeting out 
like they intend to transfer their, 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 you know, all of those things and they will. Right. But that doesn't officially open up until Monday. So um, from now till then, you know, you really can't make official offers to those guys. So that, that'll start picking up hot and heavy next week, of course. And we'll be covering that. Yeah. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see because I think a lot of guys that are going to be transferring out of schools haven't actually announced yet. And it's going to be like a really short order um, I'm transferring and oh, by the way, this is where I'm going. I'm, I'm intrigued to see how the dynamics of that all play out next week. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a whirlwind for sure. I mean, you got, you know, the playoff committee and bowl bowl selections all get announced on Sunday, which is also, you know, traditionally kind of like the second. I guess this past Sunday was Black Sunday. So, um, you know, you're going to get all that stuff on Sunday and then you're going to get, you know, coaching hires and and changes and firings and stuff are going to continue on and heavy and then of course the portal is going to kick into gear and then of course you know you got signing day in in three weeks so it's a lot of action uh for the next three weeks for sure yeah and i will i'll update my spreadsheet tomorrow and i'll tweet out uh, a newer version of of what i've got in terms of numbers but i've seen a lot of like panic and frustration and and like you're getting fans are getting egged on by other fan bases too um, and they're worried that like all oh, our programs falling apart because all these guys are transferring. Like Oregon was in a position where before anyone left, this is before even seven McGee's departure, they were going to need about somewhere between 16 and 20 guys to leave the program, whether that's from early departure for the NFL draft, transferring out a- any other modality of leaving. Oregon was going to need a substantial amount of attrition to get the class that they're working on signing right now in uh, and also have room for four to five ish transfers. Um, And I'm not so sure that they wouldn't like to take really closer to five to eight guys in the transfer portal. So um, a lot of attrition was necessary. uh, And I think it's also important to note that last year at this time, like it it was a really weird off season cycle. If it was the first NIL cycle last year um, and just because of the timing of which Mario left and landing was hired and landing came in, it was more a situation of landing, trying to just maintain as much of the roster from 2021 as possible. Whereas this year it's okay. Like we've worked with all these guys for a year. Now we need to cut fat wherever it exists um, and and really get our guys into this program. And there's going to be some guys that maybe we have uh, personal affection for, uh, I know that I was a big Dante Thornton fan and a big Byron Cardwell fan. I know you were as well. Yep. Um, Both have great families, great kids, really, really hard workers. It's no insult to them. Um, But there's going to be some players like that, some players with talent that leave. uh, And you're just going to have to have faith that the guy that was hired and the staff that's in place know what they're doing um, and are going to be able to adequately replace those departures with their guys. Um, Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you wish a guy, you know, you wish guys like Dante and Byron, like you hope they have a season next year like Trey Benson did this year at Florida State, right? Like go somewhere, get on the field and kill it. I mean, that's awesome for them. I, and I wish that for them. And, you know, I, th- I think people who, who've who been paying attention, not just to this show, but just in general to how roster management works in, in this era of college football, like, you know, you and I have been talking about 15 to 20 you know, 15 to 20 people leaving the program. Like we've been talking about that since the, before the season even started, right? Yeah. Like, you know, we're like, Hey, just to fit the numbers we need, you're going to need that much attrition. And and of course, you know, I, I think to the timing of it being after the first year of this coaching staff, like you said, 
I mean, there was, there was, you know, they did a great job last year of holding the roster intact for the most part. It was a couple of impact players that left or potential impact players that left, but for the most part, they held everyone intact. Um, and now, you know, there's going to be players that, that recognized, okay, this, you know, this, this new coaching staff and new program isn't the right fit for me. And there's going to be, you know, also probably times where it goes the other way and that's okay. And that's healthy. And, and fans need to like, understand like college football has fundamentally changed and, you you just you have to adapt to that you have to like recognize that this isn't bad these players aren't terrible people they're not bailing on the program the program's not falling apart everyone's got their own individual circumstance they may love the program they may want to stay they may not have the opportunity to stay for whatever reason so you just have to be patient with it you just have to realize this is the new normal and and you know adapt to it and adjust to it and and for the love of everything don't go on social media bashing these players um, because we, you don't know their story, right? And and it may ultimately be good for the program that that person is moving on. So uh, don't freak out. Don't, it's not a sky is falling in the situation. Trust this coaching staff is going to backfill uh, good players leaving with good players coming in, and the program is going to be in just fine. Yeah, I mean, regardless, I've, I've not seen a single player transfer out of the program so far that wasn't expected a month ago to leave. Yeah. Um, and there's a bunch more coming and um, yeah, fans just need to learn to roll with the punches. This is the new normal. This is, I mean, really this is not a whole lot different than what it was even 10 years ago in the sec when they were over signing, signing 30 guys a year and processing guys out in the back end of, of classes. So um, yeah, it, this is, this is how roster management works now. With NIL, it's going to be even crazier. Um, buckle up. It's not for the faint of heart. If you like, if, if you can't handle it, I highly recommend just peeking your head back in in February when it's all over. Yeah, well said. Speaking of NIL, just a you know a quick plug for our friends over at Ducks Rising. They're doing a pledge drive this month to try to raise some NIL funds, and you can go over to DucksRising.com and do a one-time contribution or or a monthly subscription if you'd like. But that that all that all goes directly to the Oregon athletes and and their NIL pursuits. So uh, with that, we'll, we're going to take mailbag questions at the end. I know we got a lot of questions about the season, about the offensive coordinator and some other things, but let's get through the picks for the conference title games first, and then we'll hit the mail. Absolutely. We'll start off here with uh, our home conference here, the Pac-12, uh, Utah and USC facing off in Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. Uh, USC is a three-point favorite uh, on the neutral site here. Uh, Doug, what's your take? Yeah, so obviously these two teams played at Rice Eccles in Utah, you know, middle of the season and what was, you know, one of, if not the the game of the year in the Pac-12, it was certainly in the top two or three in that category. It was a 43-42 to 42 Utah victory in a game that the SC kind of jumped out to an early lead. And then USC kind of figured some stuff out and came back and it was a, really a, quite a shootout in the second half and, and Utah got the one-point victory. Um, several differences, I think, in this game, though, you know, one, it's not it's not in Rice Eccles. It's in a neutral site in Vegas. I mean, Utah is going to travel there really well. Uh, they already sold out their ticket allotment. Uh, we, we heard a couple of days ago. I'm sure SC is going to be pretty well represented, too. It's a pretty short drive. They haven't been in the title game in, you know, five years. So or I guess they were in the 2020 season, but nobody could go. Um, so I think it'll be a well, a, a good crowd from both sides. The diff, The other difference I see here is Utah's injury situation is just, you know, Rising has got hurt at the end of that SC game and hasn't been the same player since. 
Tavion Thomas got hurt in the Oregon game. He's already announced that he's done. Um, you know, Dalton Kincaid may or may not play. Clark Phillips has been banged up and on and off the field the last few weeks. Like I, it just, it just feels like if, if these two teams were fully healthy and I know, I know, I know SC lost Travis die, but I think their, their backup, you know, Austin Jones has been more than adequate or, you know, and that it's not a big drop off, I guess I would say. Uh, and then uh, on the flip side, they've got some of the receivers that missed a lot of the season, you know, kind of coming back now and around, you know, Addison and Mario Williams and stuff and kind of rounding into shape. So I think the story in this game is that injury situation. As much as I would love to see Utah win this game, because I do, um, I I just don't see it happening. I think SC's peaking at the right time, and I think they're going to they're, – they're favored by three in this one. I've got them winning by more than three. Yeah, I don't I don't see Utah winning this game without a full clip. Like they they already are short on playmakers offensively to begin with. Um being down Thomas, being down Keithy. I I just don't see enough weapons in this offense, especially with a banged up rising to keep pace. Um I I don't think that this USC front is good at stopping the run. I think they're going to get thoroughly exposed once they make it to the playoff for that, but I don't know that Utah in its current form is in a position to really capitalize in the way um, necessary to win this game. So I'm going to take USC minus the three um, and kind of hope, keep my fingers crossed that Utah pulls this one out. Yep. I'm with you on that one. Uh, let's move over to the um, the AAC game. So UCF versus Tulane, the winner of this game will certainly pick the uh, the Cotton Bowl spot, the, the near six guaranteed spot for the group of five. Uh, Tulane was the is the favorite in this one by three and a half. They played a few weeks ago. Didn't UCF win that one? Yes. Yeah, uh, they did. It was kind of a crazy game, um, but I'm still going to roll with the wave again with the green wave again on this one. Uh, um, they're only a three and a half point favorite. I thought they were the better team last time these two teams played. Um, neutral site game here. I I just think that uh, I, I don't know. I think that Tulane's defense will find enough stops against a pretty one-dimensional UCF offense. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. You know, what do they say about trying to beat a team twice in the same season, right? Um, and especially after, you know, that game was only a couple of weeks ago. I think Tulane, um, Tulane's got revenge on the mind, and obviously they've got the sights set on that Cotton Bowl spot in the New York Six. So I'm going to go with the Wave as well. Perfect. Moving on to the ACC championship game. I don't remember which stadium this gets played in. Um, do you have any idea? Is this I, one played it, in, isn't it in the Carolina Panther Stadium? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, yeah, I think it's played. In, is that that's Raleigh, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Uh, Clemson's playing UNC. Clemson's an eight-point favorite. Give me Clemson and all in to cover this. Uh, UNC is one player away from being like a three or a four-win team. Uh, their offensive line is horrible. I don't think they're particularly well coached, especially on defense. Clemson's a far more talented team. I know that they've. Uh, had a tough loss in their rivalry game against South Carolina last week. This is the get-right game for them. I think they blow out UNC in the ACC championship game. So it is at the Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is indeed the home of the Carolina I got you. <laughs> um, Yeah, I'm kind of with you on this one. I, you, I, Clemson's loss last week was, was pretty um, – you know, pretty hurtful for them because they they're a team that you know might have backdoored their way into the playoff had they won that game and won this one with with some of the other teams that fell off. They had a real shot. You know, if USC were to lose, 
you know, this coming weekend, or even if maybe TCU, they had a real shot to maybe snipe that fourth spot, but that's obviously out the window now. You know, they've been such an up and down team this year, you know, kind of seems to go how DJU goes and, and he went, you know, really poorly that game. But I'm with you. I think they're just a better team. I, I think North Carolina is just super limited. Um, and I think Clemson wins this one, and I like them to cover the eight-point spread. Perfect. Moving over to the Big 12, we got Kansas State and TCU facing off. And uh, a game that I, I had Kansas State in this game. I certainly did not have TCU when we talked about it preseason. Uh, because of that, I'm going to be rolling with TCU, or I'm going to be rolling with Kansas State plus the two and a half. Give me the points in Kansas State. Um, the first right. time these two teams played, Kansas State jumped out to a 28-point lead early, um, had some quarterback injury issues, kind of took their foot off the gas, and TCU was able to make their way back into this game. I don't know. I just think Kansas State's a better team all around. I think that uh, the mixture of run running the ball, controlling the, controlling the clock, um, and defense is enough for, for Kansas State to, to win this game outright. So I'll be on Kansas State money line here in this game. So I have my pick, and then I'm going to have a question for you. So – I'm going to roll. I've been picking for TCU to lose one of these games for like the last six weeks. It feels like, cause you know, they, they just kept coming back and coming back and coming back and they never lost one. So I'm finally going to pick for them to continue in their, in their winning ways and to pull this one out. And I think they'll cover the two and a half. So I'll go with TCU in this one. But my question is if they were to lose, do they still make the playoffs? Um, I think Yes. I think they do. I think they would just be the four seed instead of the three. I mean, the other option would be Ohio State, right? Yeah, I don't think that anyone's in a hurry to put. I, I just, I don't think that Ohio State has a better resume than an eleven and one TCU. No, the the Big Ten outside of the Big Ten was not good this year, and Ohio State doesn't have a lot of great wins on their on their resume, and certainly not not nearly as many in my mind as TCU has. So I'm with you, but you know, big brands, who knows what the committee's going to do. Um, but I, I kind of with you. I think TCU would still hold on to the playoff spot. Um, yeah, you know, I guess Ohio State. If TCU and and USC both lose, maybe they can squeak in. I don't know. Maybe they. Maybe the force is already set. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, I'm, I'll be interested to see how that all plays out. Um, moving over to the Big Ten in Indianapolis, Purdue and Michigan will be matching up. Michigan is a 16 point favorite in the conference title game. I'm almost a little worried that this is kind of a a, uh, a letdown spot, which is weird to say for a conference title game. But after a, an emotional road win at Ohio State a week ago, um, Michigan might be a little bit let down having to play Purdue in Indianapolis. But I'm gonna I'm gonna trust that Harbaugh has this team ready to go. I'm gonna take Michigan minus the sixteen uh, to cover and beat the heck out of Purdue. Yeah, I'm all over Michigan on this one as well. I, I mean, the, the Big Ten West is it's just like a cavalcade of like mid all year long, and Purdue was the best of the mid, so they get a they get to be the sacrificial lamb, and I, I think Michigan's going to just roll them up. So I don't think 16's enough. I'll take Michigan. Perfect. Moving down to Atlanta in the Mercedes-Benz, we've got LSU playing Georgia. Uh, LSU, the West representative, Despite losing to Texas A&M a week ago, uh, UGA undefeated on the season. Um, whenever Georgia's been excited to play somebody, they've absolutely put them in a body bag. 
Um, and I expect that to happen here. George is a 17 point favorite. I, I don't just from a matchup perspective, an LSU offense that's best play all year has been the quarterback run. I don't think that this is a game where you really want Jaden Daniels to be getting a ton of carries. Um, not if you want him to make it to the end of it. So I'm taking Georgia. I think Georgia absolutely blows this game open. Um, they're going to look to like kind of start to peak at the right time here, almost like a track runner, um, kind of peeking around Pac-12s, getting ready for nat- for national title races. Um, I think UGA like takes this opportunity to really start to to ramp up towards a national title run, uh, try to get the repeat. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I'm, I'm taking Georgia to cover this as well. I LSU was. I don't know. They're they're an interesting team. I mean, they they obviously got the big win over Bama and and some, you know, and had a lot of momentum at that point and got really, in my mind, got quite overranked considering what they had done this year. But I mean, they just got embarrassed last week against a f- terrible Texas A and M team. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I think Georgia's just going to run away with this one as well and roll into the playoffs like ready to defend their title and become the first repeat champion in in quite a number of years, like almost ten years. Yeah, I think since Bama did it in ten eleven. Yeah, I think it was yeah ten eleven eleven twelve something like that eleven twelve. But um, you know, moving on to or before we move on to the mailbag. <laughs> Going through these games, I'm struck by there's not very many good games here. I, oh, I, I kind of disagree. Like, I think Utah USC is solid. I think that I think that Kansas State TCU is clearly the best game on this slate. Um, and I actually like. I'm glad that you put the AAC title game on here because I think Tulane UCF might be the second best game behind Kansas State and TCU. Yeah, I guess just talking about like. You know your your big conferences, right? Your SEC, your Big Ten, and 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 the ACC. It's just kind of like not some not very good games, or, or on paper anyway. I mean, they could turn out to be good ones, but I mean, we've we've already seen Georgia and Michigan play the real second best team in those conferences and absolutely throttle them both. So I, I just think that we have a situation in those two leagues right now where there's two teams that are substantially better than everybody else. Yep, I think that's fair. All right, you ready to get to some mail? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we th- we kind of put this out there about a week ago because we thought we were going to originally take these questions um, on our last episode, but ran out of time. So there's there's some of them are a little bit older, but I think they're still relevant, and, and there's a, quite a few of them out there. So I'll just jump through them, and we'll uh, see where it takes us. Um, the first one, more of a statement than a question, but maybe we can respond to it. Um, this new quote, Oregon standard unquote looks awfully familiar since Helfrich Taggart and crystal ball and now landing Oregon now has a reputation for being soft and not showing up for big games. I'd settle for playing four quarters in the same game. I would love for landing to prove this wrong. Um, okay. I'll go first. Um, so if Oregon soft, then why did Oregon beat Utah? one week prior in a game where half the team was basically unavailable through four days of practice. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I don't think Oregon's a soft team. Um, I do. And I think I mentioned this on our last episode, you know, I do think there's, there's been some amount of, lack of fight at times over the last several years in this program, we're going through multiple coaching staffs, you know, to get like, you know, like we talked about at the end of the Oregon state game, but I don't think that means they're soft, 
Um, I, you know, I think there's some culture things that probably need to get cleaned up. Um, well, there but, was yeah. there was warts in the culture that were appearing down the stretch of the Mario Cristobal tenure. Um, yeah. And when I think this, when everyone in the building knew he was leaving last year, like that team quit. Um, and I think that I, I'm not sure why. Again, we we talked about this a little bit on in our Sunday episode uh, or Monday, whatever day that was. They showed yeah. some of those signs for the first, in my opinion, for the first time this year against against Wash or against Oregon State um, on on Saturday, uh, but. To me, that's not reflective of the new staff. I mean, like, in what other game? Like, we 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 just played as gutsy of a performance seven days prior as any Oregon team I've seen in recent memory. Um, and it's not like we rolled into the horseshoe last year and just rolled over, even with Mario as the head coach. So, I don't know. I I don't think this is a soft team. I don't think this has a re- this team has a reputation of not showing up in big games. We were outclassed against Georgia. I mean, that's just what it is. They were a better football team than we were. Um, and I still contend that if we had we played them later in the year, at least offensively, we've been far more competitive. Defensively, we just ended up not being very good this season. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, you go back uh, to you go back to 2019. I mean, that, that team won several big games that year in close games. I think in, you know, we won we won in the COVID year. We won a, a, a couple of big games, particularly the Pac-12 title game in, at USC. That was that was a big win. So you know, last year in in Ohio Stadium, that was a big game. Um, I, I I don't, I mean, good teams lose games. You know, like it, it, you know, we didn't. To me, it's encouraging. Like, okay, yeah, we lost the Washington and Oregon State game, and we didn't like the way we lost them, but we lost them by three points and four points. I mean, it's not like the Utah games last year where we got blown off the field in the in the first quarter. Yeah, I mean, it's not like the yeah. ASU game in 2019. The the this season could have gone completely off the rails with that Knicks injury because we're we're Knicks being healthy away from beating Washington, and and if he's healthy against Utah, we likely probably like beat Utah by multiple scores. Um, and who knows? Maybe we still blow it. I mean, we we did blow a 31 to 10 lead against Oregon State. But I mean, you're still looking at a at that point. It would be an eight and one conference schedule. Like that's that's pretty damn good in year one, right? Um, and even seven and two, like it's, it's disappointing. Yeah, nine and three, like had Oregon won on on Saturday, and, and Oregon sits here at ten and two. Everyone would feel better. I mean, also had Oregon not scheduled Georgia and played a Patsy week one, like everybody else does, we would probably feel a lot better about ten and two too. But I mean. Seven yeah. two year one, especially considering a quarterback injury down the final stretch. Um, I thought it was a really, really gutsy performance against Utah. It's not like we got like stomped out by either Oregon State or Washington. Um, I'll have much higher expectations for next year, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna write off a staff or write off a program that's clearly in tra- in transition when you consider that we're probably gonna have somewhere in the range of 35 new players on next year's team. Um, so yeah, I don't, I yeah. don't know. I disagree with the, with the question statement. Yeah. I agreed. All right. Next question. This one's from uh, JP Smith sculpts. Uh, what, what does Dilly going to ASU going to do to this recruiting class? Um, I'll just say not much, if anything. Yeah. It doesn't look like it's going to do much. Um, Dante seems to be pretty solid. Um, any rumors of Dickie seem to have died off. I mean, who knows? We, we, we could say this, put this episode out, and they could both be gone tomorrow. But 
um, it, from from all the reporting from people who, who follow this stuff really and do a good job reporting on it, uh, it would appear that the class is going to remain largely the same. Um, thankfully, because of the way the class was was set up, almost all the skill position recruiting has been done. The, the remainder of the staff seems to be remaining completely intact. Um, and I think that a lot of these players are buying into the Oregon vision uh, of, what, of what Coach Lanning and Marshall Malco um, and, and the staff have, have put out there. And I think they have a lot of faith that, yeah, Dilly leaving sucks, but they're going to be able to go out and hire another really good offensive coordinator. Um, and they're going to have the money to do it, the resources. And I think that there's a lot of faith that uh, there's going to be a really good hire made here. Um, on that note, Brandon Betts asks, who is your top three offensive coordinator targets that fit the current roster and expected recruits? Um, okay. Uh, well, I'm just going to go work off of, I know it's premium content. I'm going to work off the list that Justin Hopkins put out on scoop duck a little bit here. Um, I think that Lunny, the offensive coordinator at Illinois would be a very, very good fit. Um, just from his time at UTSA, the offense he ran there, kind of the scheme versatility he showed going up to uh, going up to Illinois and working with Brett Bielema uh, and being able to kind of mix and convert the the more power ISO run game centric system that they ran a year ago with his more up tempo um, spread the ball around like true spread numbers based system was really impressive. I thought that was a really good job. He's got a good resume. He's been a good recruiter everywhere he's been. Uh, I thought he's been around for some really good coaches, been around Norvell. He's been around Bobby Petrino. Uh, so I think, I think he certainly qualifies as someone that would be a very good pickup. Um, Johns, who's currently at Duke, I think has done an unbelievable job at Duke. Uh, another guy from the Mike Norvell tree would make it a really easy transition for the current players just based on the fact that systems would be similar. I would assume if you hire Johns or Lenny, they'd both come in and actually probably work off the existing terminology. Um, so the players wouldn't have to be learning a new language. Um, and then I think like the kind of uh, the, the, the big name, the big fish, um, the, what, what's the, what's the term is it the, the big, the, the white, the white whale. whale? The white whale, the white whale. Is that what it is? Yeah. For Moby Dick. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the white whale would be Joe Brady, who's currently the offensive court or the uh, quarterback coach um, at, at, for the Buffalo bills, uh, obviously was the offensive coordinator of the 2019 LSU team that broke all those records and won a national title. Um, his system would be the most different from what we've been doing. Um, but I don't think it would be a crazy adjustment for our players. Uh, and I actually think that it would be the best system for our players, especially if Knicks was looking to come back. I think it would be um, long-term. And, and honestly, just projecting forward even further, looking at Dante Moore's skill set, um, that more that, that kind of morphed Joe Moorhead slash Sean Payton system with a lot of the uh, quick West Coast passing game, I think would just be an excellent fit for the receiving talent we have coming in the guys that we have on, on, on campus, I think that that would just be an excellent um, pickup. So I would be really satisfied with any of those hires. I mean, there's a bunch of other names out there. I'd be really happy with. Uh, I'm just going to kind of wait and see. I, the, the one thing about having a really bright defensive minded head coach um, that's already kind of established that he's very, he's an aggressive head coach philosophically. He wants to be explosive offensively. He wants to um, go for it on fourth down and push tempo. 
I have a lot of faith in him based on where he sits philosophically. He's going to make a good hire. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. Uh, Brandon had a second part of his question. Um, how does a team either not take an opponent seriously or relax during a game? This issue happens every year and that yet never gets corrected by almost any coaching staff. I, I don't really agree with you here, Brandon. Um, I think if you looked at this season as a whole, we actually saw significant improvement in this area compared to what we've seen over the previous staff, right? I mean, how many years that we spend talking about how we never put teams away. We never were able to clear our bench and play our young guys. We were playing one possession games with Arizona and Colorado last season. Right. And this year, you know, you look at that eight game winning streak, we stepped on people's necks, right? We, these games were over at halftime and the, and, and the good teams too, even UCLA game, right? Like these teams were over at halftime. They were over by mid third, we took those teams seriously. I don't think we were relaxed. And even in the games that we lost, you know, I, I don't think we relaxed during the Washington game. I don't think we relaxed. Yeah, maybe at the Oregon State game a little bit. I, I don't I don't know that I'd use the word relaxed. We talked about that a lot in our last episodes. You can go back and listen to that. But I don't think we came into either of those games not taking the opponent seriously. Like, we didn't get jumped on from the gun by either of those teams and fall down behind. I just think that this Oregon team least defensive especially defensively um like when you're dealing with 18 to 22 year old kids and i know with covid there's some exceptions to this rule like cam mccormick who's like 38 but um you're not going to get the same performance every week like even in the nfl where everyone's a professional and they're grown men with families and tons of money you still don't get the same performance every week it's impossible for humans to perform at peak every single week even no matter how like dead set you are on being focused and trying to execute, it's just not possible. So there's going to be games where you're just not going to play well all four quarters. Like things are just not going to work. It's not, sometimes it's not because of effort. My biggest problem with Oregon State is it did appear to be because of effort at times. Um, but like Doug said, I think that this team largely for the year showed that they had been that the staff and the standard had been set to a level where guys are executing even when we're playing down against the we're not necessarily playing down but playing against an inferior opponent um but this team just was not good enough defensively to withstand a poor offensive showing against a team that's playing their a game and um that's what kind of happened down the stretch of both the washington and oregon state games like if you look at the amount of points that oregon scored in the fourth quarters of those games and what we gave up i mean we just we didn't execute well enough on defense. And um, unfortunately the offense wasn't able to carry us in every one of those games. All right. Uh, Tyler Weber asks, um, do you guys buy into the quote landing needs to get his guys quote narrative that people like to use? Oh, in some cases, absolutely. I mean, it depends how you're, how you're phrasing it. I don't think that this team is just like a, a toxic team with a horrible broken culture. I think that there's guys in the locker room that certainly don't need to be there anymore. And I think that we'll see those guys leave over the course of this off season and not return. Um, but in terms of defensively, they absolutely need to get their guys in. Like we, uh, I think like going back and kind of self scouting and looking at where we made mistakes, maybe projecting this team, like this defense just doesn't really have a lot of playmakers, like guys that, um, get a lot of fanfare and hype like guys that we've talked about a lot coming into the season guys like no Sewell, guys like justin flo like no Sewell's probably going to be a day three draft pick like he's he's a solid player um but he's not 
he's not like a like an undeniable playmaker that's just out there imposing his will on every snap. Uh, and Justin Flo, because of injuries and, and other things, is still really inexperienced and not super dependable yet at this stage. And, and that just kind of goes across the board at a lot of positions. I mean, the the one thing that we really could rely on for the most part was the interior defensive line for most of this year, um, outside of late in the Oregon State game. But uh, yeah, they absolutely need to get their guys in. I think that we're going to see a, a, a noticeable um, talent and profile improvement on the defensive side of the ball. Um, whereas def- offensively, I don't know that they really need to get a whole lot more in. Uh, maybe we get a little bit better and deeper at receiver. But yeah, a, a, a defensively, I absolutely think they need to get their guys in. Yeah, I, I, there's just not a lot of guys on the defense. I think playmakers is a good way to describe it. The other way I'd describe it is guys who, who win one-on-one battles. And I'm thinking specifically at the edge position, right? Like how much better would this defense have been this year with a couple of guys who could win a one-on-one on the edge? Yeah, I mean, just give it AKT. Like I, I know he's a top five pick, so it's a little different. But we're just – give it a pass rusher. Like We just didn't have anybody that consistently won on the edge. Um, and like linebacker was inconsistent for the most part all year and like corner outside of Gonzo was hit and miss. Although I think I will say that I thought Manning really was playing good football down the stretch, um, and probably had his best game in the last game of the season, uh, and safety. I just think that like, there's some guys that are, that are smart kids that are playing hard, but I don't know that. Well, I do know that that's there's the talent profile at that position is extremely poor. Um, and, and needs to improve. So, yeah, I think we're, I think we're paying the price now for some, some evaluation and, and recruiting misses over the last several years at the certain positions on the defense. Uh, I kind of the next question kind of dovetails into that. Jack Levy asks, looking back at the top 10 recruits from each class from 2019 to 2021, just less than half of those top 10 have had meaningful contributions on the field while at Oregon. Is this typical or is this a product of bad development and or evaluation? Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. I think it's a mix of things. I think, so I do think that there is some bad development. I do think that there is, uh, that was taking place with the last staff. I do think that there was, um, maybe a slightly higher miss rate. I don't know if it's a higher miss rate. Here's the deal. You're going to miss on some evaluation. I think half is probably pretty standard. Yeah. I think, yeah, I was going to say, I think half is pretty standard. Like you're going to miss evaluations. And even when you hit the evaluation, like you think like the kid has all the physical talent and all the requisite size and athleticism, like you're still going to miss on some kids because they, they're going to be missing an attribute that was impossible for you to evaluate until they were on your campus. Right. Um, and so that's the important part. Like I, I, fans get really tied up in stars and I, and I always say this and I'll, I'll repeat it again here. Stars matter on the, on the macro. They do not matter on the micro. I don't like, you're never going to see me arguing with somebody like, Oh, well, player X should have been three spots higher. Cause I don't think he's, I think he's better than player Y, blah, blah, blah. Like that, that stuff to me just doesn't, that doesn't matter. Um, I think the the because the ratings I don't think are particularly accurate on the micro level. Where they matter though is that it's been proven over time that the there is a certain threshold required to win a title from a talent standpoint, um, and it's better to have more higher rated players than not. Right? Yeah, because uh, a, a, a five star you know hit rate is fifty percent. A, a three star hit rate is like five percent. Yeah. 
Yeah, but that doesn't mean like these kids aren't all created equal. Not all four stars are created equal. Not all five stars are created equal. Not all three stars are created equal. Um, and so yeah, I think that I think at times Oregon has gotten caught, and I I mean flat out I know it has like trying to puff classes un, under the last staff um, by taking kids that were that looked good on paper that frankly didn't really have a lot of great projectable traits. It's like uh, anybody that subscribes to scoop duck, like you can read the evals that I write on kids and I'm not, I'm far from perfect too, but like, you'll see like when I'm not super high on a kid, I'm not going to sit there and dog a high school kid that's committed to Oregon and fulfilling his dream and getting, getting the opportunity to get his school, his education paid for and play college football at a level far higher than I was ever able to. But I'm also like not out there just raving about every kid. Like, Hey, like, not every kid has a crazy high ceiling with just this incredible skill set. Um, and so yep. I, I encourage people to to kind of form their own opinions, but also remember that like there, there's about a 50% washout of every class for even the best schools in the country. Uh, all right. Cole Thomas asks, how would you evaluate the performance of our special teams this year? And, and I think we're going to go in much more detail in the coming weeks with like individual unit breakdowns, but I'll just kind of give a, a high level grade. I think our, our field goal kicking unit, I'll give an A. I think our punt unit, I'd probably give a D between coverage and punting. Um, you know, I thought our coverage teams, our kickoff coverage team, particularly because the kicker was great at kicking out of the end zone, I'd give them a solid B, B plus. I think there were times we had coverage breakdowns and kickoff coverage. Punt coverage, I talked about our punt team. I think our return units, I think we're both average or worse. We just didn't get anything out of our return game at all. Yeah, I mean, just getting an explosive returner would fix both of those ones. Um but yeah, I would, I would probably agree with you across the board. I think the the biggest issues that I see right now are punt, um, like a punter, like just getting a punter, um, and 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 coverage on both punt and kicks. I think that um, returns on the punts and kicks is a lot easier to solve. I think it's as simple as just getting a player back there returning kicks who's dynamic. Yeah. All right. I'll move on to. Uh, YFZ 450 Duck says, do you think Dilly has been checked out since UW? Is it that hard to get up for Oregon State? And has DJ played his last down of football after what happened after the game? Okay. Uh, no, I don't think D- Dilly checked out because we didn't lose. Well, first of all, we beat Utah with a, with a one-legged quarterback. Um, and I think that our offense did more than enough to beat Oregon State. I mean, there was some plays down the stretch that didn't get made, but it wasn't because there wasn't a decent play call. Um, I think of the one that was tipped that was intended for Terrence Ferguson on, on the, I think it was a third down late in the fourth quarter against Oregon State. Really well-designed play. We had a guy wide open. Unfortunately, ball just gets tipped. Uh, and you're dealing with a hurt quarterback who can't run or move really, right? Um, yeah. So I, would I, don't, that. Yep. I don't think Dilly was checked out. Like, I think he was obviously, I'm sure he was excited and he was thinking, spending some time thinking about Arizona state. But uh, in terms of like the way the games were called, I think the offense performed well enough for us to win. So I, I don't think he was checked. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think the team, we already talked about this. I think the team was up for the game. I don't, I didn't see a problem with motivation there. Um, 
as far as DJ goes, he's probably played his last game. You know, obviously, you know, we're going to be in a lesser bowl game anyway. And a lot of those guys will be getting ready for the draft and, and skipping that bowl game anyway. So whether it's his choice or not, I, he probably won't play. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't think that you can just play after that kind of behavior post game. Um, next question from Skoducks. How would you rate the season after losses to both rivals? So I, I do think the fact that the losses were to both rivals definitely puts a little more sting on it. I think I said at the beginning of the year and all summer that um, anything less than making the Pac-12 title game this year would be a disappointment for me. Um, so I'm going to say this this season was mildly disappointing. Uh, I think nine and three was you know I, I kind of had our record pegged at nine and three or, or ten and two, but I thought nine and three with a loss to Georgia was probably going to be enough to get us into the title game regardless. But we didn't make it, and we lost to the the two rivals. So I would give the season probably a B grade, and I'd say it was it was definitely a mildly disappointing finish. Yeah, I'd give it a B minus. Like you're eight and one going into into the last three weeks, I understand that it's a tough three game haul and you, you have a quarterback injury, but um, just the, the complete lack of competitiveness at times defensively uh, was really disappointing. Um, And maybe that was a miscalculation of expectations coming in, but uh, I like up to that point, I would have given the season an A, like even despite getting blown out by, by Georgia. Um, but I just think that losing to Washington and Oregon State is something that you, you, you can't do. So Yeah, I think what only only two Oregon teams have lost to both of them in the same season in the last twenty years. You know, it was the twenty sixteen team and this one. So that that says a lot right there. And yeah, and this isn't a bad football team. So No. No. Um, all right, next a uh, couple more. Uh Jugmaster General uh writes with all these premier pass catchers coming in, shouldn't we be looking for a more pass friendly offensive coordinator? I agree. And I think that um based on the names that I discussed earlier, all three of them would be more pass happy than we were this year. I think this season in particular, um, the strength just considering the way that the team was composed was was to be more balanced. I mean, I think it was 53% run to pass. Yeah. So really almost 50-50 on the season. And when you consider how many games, especially the through the first nine games, had been in serious garbage time in the second half, that really points to like perfect balance almost because you're you're running a lot more than you're throwing in the second half of those games against yeah, it's probably Cal and Colorado you. and Oregon yeah. State or or not Oregon State. Um but you, you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, if you take out garbage time, it's probably pretty close to 50-50. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I agree. I think that especially if Nix is coming back, like you're looking to really rely heavily on him and Troy Franklin and uh, guys like Jury and Dickey and Kyler Casper and Ashton Cozart, uh, the tight ends and the backs out of the backfield. I, that's why I think for me, like in a, in a dream world, I really would love to see Joe Brady get the call here or – or not get the call, but take the job. Um, because I think that his skill set in particular with this group of pass catchers and skill players um, would help mitigate some of the turnover on the offensive line. Yeah. Um, and I think the offensive line, that's a good point. Cause I think one of the reasons this team, you know, did run the ball a little bit more this year is because we did have such a, a veteran 
you know, strong offensive line coming back along with, you know, really skilled running backs. So leaning on that strength is not, I mean, the offense was highly effective. It was, you know, before the injury, it was the number one efficient offense in the country. So it's hard to, to be true critical of what they were doing and that the run game was obviously a big strength of the offense, but going into next year, you know, you're turning over nearly all or all of the offensive line to new starters. So I think it, you're going to be easier it's harder to be dominant with a young offensive line in the run game. I think you can mask some of those weaknesses a little bit better with the pass game. So I, I think that's another reason why you might go a little more passes friendly next year. Yeah, I agree. I just think, especially again, it, it really comes down to Nick's returns. Um, I think it'll be pretty balanced regardless, but I would, I would not mind seeing it go 60, 40 pass to run um, with, with the returning Knicks considering the pass catchers available. Yeah, yeah, maybe fifty five, forty five or something. I I do think there was there's, you know, and I think to our our depth at receiver, like you mentioned, was was not great this year. I mean, we had really some great tight ends, and and I think we had a couple of wide receivers who who were pretty pretty skilled and talented, but we didn't go super deep there. So if that's an area where next year maybe there's a little more depth in that room and you can rotate guys a little more without drop off, maybe that's another opportunity. I mean, finding an, another reliable vertical target outside of Franklin, I think is really important this off season, whether it's an incoming freshman, uh, maybe it's someone like Casper who redshirted this year. Uh, maybe it's an incoming transfer. Uh, that's going to be an important piece. If you really want to start to lean on the pass game more. You bet uh, a couple more. Uh, Rob Warnock asks defensively, what changes do we need? Is it Jimmy's and Joe's or X's and O's? So I don't think, I don't know. I, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, well, I, I think it's primarily Jimmy's and Joe's uh, just to get started. I, I, I think that there's some pretty clear talent deficiencies, specifically in the secondary outside of Gonzo. Um, and I just a complete lack of anybody who can rush the passer. Um, we're, we're serious problems this year that I think regardless of scheme, we're going to be a detriment. Um, I don't know. I don't think the scheme itself is broken by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, Georgia has the number one defense in the country running the exact same thing. So uh, definitely not a broken scheme. I don't know that it was called the best this year. I don't know if the concepts were layered the best, but honestly, just considering what they were working with, I don't know how much we can really tell. Um, I think it's kind of an incomplete sample at this point. I know that's kind of a cop-out answer after 12 games, but I want to see what these guys look like um, with another offseason, with another opportunity to bring in and enhance the talent in their first full class, in their first full offseason of transfer portal mo uh, movement and activity. I, I, I really don't think – I don't think the scheme is broken by any stretch of the imagination. We'll find out if maybe the play calling is, but I think that with improved talent that the scheme is, is more than adequate. Yeah, I tend to agree. I, I We talked about – you know, bringing in the guys and whatnot. And I think, you know, whenever you have a new coaching staff and it, I, I, you know, I think a scheme turnover, and I think we talked about this at the beginning of the season, especially on defense, you know, offensive players generally can be manipulated into different schemes much more easily than defensive players at times. Right. So I think there is, there is a little bit longer pathway to getting the guys that fit your scheme on the defensive side of the ball, um, and, and obviously we're going to see that play out over the next month or two in, in the off season and, and kind of see what comes of that. But I, I think it's, it's certainly some of both. I think there's obviously coaching improvements that can be made. 
uh, 100%. But I also think, you know, there's just a matter of, of getting, getting the right guys in the right places too. Yeah, I agree. I think like scheme fit, learning how to play within the system, uh, offense in general is less talent dependent than defenses. Um, and it's defense too. It's with how good offensive coordinators are and how good quarterbacks are and how mobile quarterbacks are right now. Um, it's very easy. If you have one guy on the field, who's out of place from a talent standpoint, it's very easy for them to pick on him um, and to isolate him and to just beat you with through that one guy. Um, and so it, talent star ratings, all that stuff typically are a lot more important on defense than offense. Uh, because you're, it's a much more reactive ball game defensively. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of my last piece on that. All right, we got one final question. Uh, this one comes from Molly Rose. I'm worried about the coming bowl game. Will Bo opt out if he's preparing for the draft? Chances that one or both of our backup quarterbacks may also transfer. And obviously, we got word today that that uh, Jay Butterfield is indeed transferring. Um, with the portal opening on 12-5, I see a potential scenario where we are playing a walk-on quarterback against a team like Florida State. My answer to this is, it's okay. It's a, it's the, the, the world of college football has changed, and when you're in a Holiday Bowl or a Las Vegas Bowl, like it, it's an exhibition game. It, it, we're seeing this more and more every year, and it's only going to get ramp up to the extreme this year with all the transfers we've been talking about, right? These rosters are going to be for these bowl games. These lesser bowl games are going to be really short, right? You might have 40, 50, 40, 50 guys, scholarship players that are available for one of these bowl games. And and the rest of the people are in the transfer portal or resting because they're injured or they're moving on to the draft or whatever. And that's okay. Like it's a developmental scrimmage. And that's the way you have to start thinking about games like this. The practice time that the team gets is definitely worth it. When they get to the game, the goal is you want the guys that are playing, whether they're walk-ons or scout team players or freshmen that redshirted this year, you want them to get reps in a game situation that they can propel forward into next year. And you want them to stay healthy. And that's the goal. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I want, I don't want Bo to play if he's not like a hundred percent healthy, I'd much rather whether it's to come back to Oregon for next year or to um, prepare for the draft. I'd much rather guys that are banged up opt out of these bowl games. They don't mean anything. Um, I, I don't know. I, the, 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 the value of these bowl games is the 15 practices that we don't get to watch for the younger guys for the developmental roster. Um, the value is not the actual game anymore unless you're in a game that matters. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, that's the end of the questions. Uh, real quick, as we move into the next few weeks, um, obviously on Sunday we'll be back. We will be reviewing all the, the six conference title games that we previewed here today. We'll talk about the playoff field will be set, so we'll be talking about our thoughts about the playoffs. We'll talk about the Pac-12 bowl lineups and and who they're playing against. And then obviously we might have some offensive coordinator news to talk about. So those are what we'll be talking about on Sunday. And then a week from today, uh, next next Thursday, will be our Hithla Day kind of end of season review. So I know that episode, whenever he comes on and, and him and QB uh, you know, go back and forth for two hours, that's always a huge hit with our listeners. So look forward to that one week from today. Excellent. Uh, make sure to follow the the Twitter for the podcast itself at QB11 show on Twitter. 
uh, follow Doug at Douglas TS, myself at QB 11 SD. Um, hope you guys all had a great Thanksgiving. Have a wonderful weekend. Be safe. Uh, hopefully we get an offensive coordinator between now and next time we talk.